Welcome to Soul Path Parenting, the podcast that explores how we set our kids up to live their best lives from the start, and how we stay conscious, inspired, and sane while we do it. I'm your host, Amy Breeze Cooper. What I have come to understand is there are no good or bad children. There are compliant children, defiant children, and then there are authentic children. Hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I have to tell you that I am really excited about today's show. And the insight that you just heard was from conscious parenting coach, Lauren Colonnais Keck, who is one of two parenting coaches that we're going to feature on today's show. And I can't count how many times I have repeated those words. I find it so powerful. There are compliant children, defiant children, and then there are authentic children. This was an aha for me. And if you get nothing else from today's show, I hope you remember this. And we are going to come back and talk about that distinction and why it's so important later in the show. But first, let me set up what we're talking about today. This is our fourth show in our Conscious Parenting series, inspired by Dr. Shafali Sabari's book, The Awakened Family. And today we're talking about myth number three. Here it is. There are good and bad children. Joining me to talk about this myth, we have two magical guests. The first, Lauren, you heard from at the top. I will introduce her again later in the show. Her personal story of transformation is going to blow your mind. But first, I want to bring on the other Conscious Parenting Coach we're featuring today, Karemi Alvarez of the Conscious Parenting Institute. Karemi is based in San Diego. She works with families on both sides of the border, and she shares a wonderful way we can think about and understand this myth. What comes up for me when I think about that is invite an invitation to, to parents to, to ask themselves, what does it mean to be quote unquote, good or bad. And in and, and every culture, it might have a different connotation. But in general, I, I, I feel that it reflects, oh, good means that you are following my desires as a parent. And okay, if that's what if we really get down to it, that's really what we mean when we think about a quote unquote, good child, they're doing what I want them to do. So if we kind of de- deconstruct that a little bit more, okay, so then if it means that they do what I want, how about I question what I want? Is it is what I want really what they need? Is it in the best service of them or of me? Or is it just my agenda? Is it just what I happen to desire that day? Is, might it be worth it to examine if what I want isn't just my ego talking? Is that what I want to transmit? And many times I think we do realize that what we want our children to do is because it's just convenient for us or it doesn't align with what they can developmentally deliver because they're so young or because they're tired or because they, they just cannot deliver the what we would expect of them and we're being irrational in our expectations of them. So that questioning that we can do as parents, I feel is so healthy and so necessary for a healthy relationship with our children. 
And then synonymously bad child, a bad child is one that we have to work harder, so to speak, on. Uh, we have to remind them to listen or to do as they're told or um, who are more active. But really, it's not that they're bad. They're just perhaps either in a developmental stage where they're much more likely to be active or their temperament or the way that they came into the world is one in which they're more assertive. What if we took a look at bad as, you know what, this child is has a much easier time voicing what she or he feels they need. And that might be clashing with what I want, but that doesn't mean they're bad. That just means it's not go going along with my desires. So why have a fight of the egos when I could really take this as an opportunity to look within and say, huh, might he have a point? I just love how Karemi explains this. And I think this idea of good and bad goes right to the core of what consciousness and conscious parenting offers us, which is becoming aware of the judgments. We are so conditioned to see the world through this lens and our egos love to judge. And so here come our children and they behave in certain ways and show up in certain ways and out comes the judge, the judge of them, the judge of ourselves as parents. And so by unwinding this myth, we're actually able to see the role that judgment plays. We'll hear more from Karemi in just a bit, but now we're going to hear from Lauren Colonnese Keck from Sunshower Coaching for her experience with this myth. I, early in my parenting, fell prey to this idea, even though before I became a parent, I thought I was a wise, mature, centered adult who was ready to take on the challenge of raising small humans. And I thought I was going to do it better than my parents had done it. And nothing prepared me for the flailing arms and ferocity and power of my rebellious toddler. My second child was what Dr. Shafali calls a defiant child. My first child had been a compliant child. And so my first child fed my fantasy that I was just brilliant at this parenting situation. And then my second child broke that for me, which was at the time devastating, but also such a gift. Because when my second child was a toddler, I didn't understand neurological child development properly. I did not realize that his behavior was completely appropriate and healthy for a toddler. I also did not understand that my traditional parenting attempts at control and domination were not only co-creating compliance and obedience out of fear and discomfort in my oldest child. I just thought she was a good kid. And then it was creating resistance and rebellion and the fight, flight, freeze response in my second child, and he fought. And so I found myself with my second toddler considering spanking my child when I had previously said, I will never spank my children. I was spanked as a child, and I thought that was a terrible idea until 
I'm in this moment with my son who's fighting me with all he has and my fight flight freeze gets triggered. And I think I've got to stop this. I've got to control this. And if he won't listen to my words, because of course he was a toddler in fight flight freeze himself. So there's no reasoning with that human, but I didn't understand that. I thought I could use words to tell him what to do and he should do what my words were telling him. And when that didn't happen and everything that had worked with my daughter was failing with my son, I went through a brief period where I thought maybe there's something to this whole spanking thing and maybe some kids need to be spanked. And that started the good kid, bad kid dynamic in my family. So my daughter who was older felt like she was the good kid and then was trying to maintain that. My son, who he and I were caught in power struggle after power struggle, and I spanked him for a couple of months out of desperation. And of course, it only made things worse. And he he started carrying that label of being the bad child in the family. And so when my daughter was scared or uncomfortable, she would, you know, withdraw, shut down, obey, do all of those things as much as possible. My son would fight, resist, rebel. Like I said, the spanking only made it worse. And of course, I'm embarrassed and ashamed to admit that I resorted to that, especially when I thought I never would. But again, nothing, nothing prepared me for the moments with my toddler, like conscious parenting helps try to either prepare or help parents with those things. So my struggles with my second child led me to Dr. Shafali's first book, The Conscious Parent. And that's when my perspective started to shift and open. And through finding Dr. Shafali's work and seeking information from other sources, I learned more about child psychological development. I learned more about the harmful messages that traditional parenting sends to parents. And when we believe those things, like when I believed in the myth of good and bad children, and I reacted to my children as if one was good and one was bad, I just co-created more problems. So you know, what I have come to understand is there are no good or bad children. There are compliant children, defiant children, and then there are authentic children. And so my oldest was a compliant child. My youngest was defiant. They were both reacting to my misguided attempts at parental control and domination. And neither of them were free to be authentic. So as I have grown and shifted in my parenting and worked on myself and released myself from these myths and the pressure they put on me, and therefore I have released my children from that pressure, they have had an opportunity to move towards being authentic, free children who express themselves and trust their caregivers to respond in ways that are more mature and appropriate because it was it was really me who was behaving in ways that were developmentally inappropriate immature 
controlling, misguided. Now, I understand that that was my conditioning. So I can forgive myself for it and accept that I was where I was and now move in the direction that I want to move. So great, right? And I would invite you to look at this in your own life and your own experience. Were you a compliant child? I was. Were you a defiant child, really fighting to let your voice be heard? Or were you an authentic child, which honestly would be pretty rare for our generation? And what about your kids? I have to say, I love this distinction so much because it goes to one of the key differences I see between traditional parenting and conscious parenting, where traditional parenting really holds up the compliant child, the good child as the goal. And yet in conscious parenting, we're striving to create a space where our children can fully express their authentic selves. And I have to be honest with you, sometimes I wonder how I'm doing at that. I have three kids who, like me, lean more compliant and one who leans more defiant. And I will admit, I worry sometimes about the compliant ones. But we're going to talk as the show progresses about how we can really cultivate a space for our children to show up wholly and completely. So let's go back to Lauren's story and hear what happened next in her journey towards conscious parenting. I found another program called Conscious Discipline, and that's by Dr. Becky Bailey. She's a neurological development expert, and she teaches that it's up to the parent, and this this also overlaps with conscious parenting and what Dr. Shivali teaches as well. But she teaches that if you have a child who's lost their composure, it is only a parent who can maintain their composure in the face of that, that has a chance at helping to guide and regulate the child. One of the quotes I love is a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. So I realized I was dysregulated. I needed to learn how to regulate. I needed to meditate. I needed to breathe. I needed to pause. So I started doing those things with myself. And I started trying to rewire my brain from, you have to stop this now. You have to control this now. Hurry up. You're failing. To, this is normal. This is natural. This is your child behaving exactly like a three-year-old is supposed to behave. You can handle this. Breathe, pause, calm yourself. You're the example. You're the role model. He's upset. It's okay to be upset. It was. It didn't feel okay to be upset when you were a child. So you're not okay with upsetness, but this is something that you can work on. So I started working on myself. And then with my son, the fir- very first thing I did was commit to not hitting him anymore. And I was able to maintain that, even though I had moments of struggle still where my fight, flight, freeze was activated and I would struggle, but I committed. I was like, okay, I'm not hitting him anymore. I'm going to stay present. I am going to keep myself calm. I am going to use words to say, it's okay to be upset. It's not okay to kick me. It's not okay to hit me. It's not okay to hurt my body. And it wasn't okay for me to hurt your body. 
And I'm sorry I did that. It's okay to be upset. I can help you. I want to help you. I'm here to help you. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, we definitely went through a painful period where he didn't trust me. He didn't believe me. He just kept reacting how he had been reacting. If anything, his reactions became even more intense at first when I stopped hitting him because, you know, all of a sudden I went from being a dysregulated, scary, so much bigger than him adult who was expecting things from him that were impossible for him and then hitting him and punishing him when he couldn't do what he wasn't able to do. So when I started shifting naturally at first, he didn't trust me. So it seemed like it got worse for a while, but I just kept reminding myself what I was committed to and that parenting is about the parent. And I was going to keep showing up the way I knew I I needed to show up. So I committed to showing up differently. And after a period of my son continuing to react from a place of fear with me, slowly he started to maybe a little bit believe that I was going to keep showing up differently. I had to show up differently so many times. I had to breathe. I had to calm myself. Sometimes I would take a few steps away from him and he was a toddler. So he would follow me and grab my leg and hit me. And I had to dig really deep and go, okay, I can do this. I can, I can be hit by a toddler because the truth is, even though he was stronger than I expected. And sometimes it hurt, especially when I tried to get down on his level and he would get me in the face. (laughs) It's really hard to be hit in the face and stay calm. At least it was for me. It was hard for me. I don't know. Maybe some people are better at that, but it was very difficult for me to get to a place where I could get hit in the face and have it physically hurt and maintain my composure. But I committed to that for my own sake and for my son's sake. And it really did give me an opportunity to connect to power I didn't know I had because it's actually harder to stay calm and composed and rational when a toddler is flailing at you and gets you in the face than it is to snap and yell at them and spank them and put them in their room. It's it's harder to do what's actually most helpful and what's actually most appropriate. It's hard to be a mature, self-regulating adult, especially because I was raised by adults who didn't have the benefit of Dr. Shafali. They didn't have conscious parenting. They didn't have conscious discipline. They were struggling to regulate themselves. And so I was raised by adults who were often dysregulated. And when I became dysregulated, it triggered their dysregulation and scary, uncomfortable things happened. So I learned the best thing to do was to hide, withdraw, contain as a child. And so with my first child, when I expected her to hide, withdraw, contain, her big feelings because I didn't know how to handle them. She did it. And then that was great. 
with my son when I expected him as a toddler to contain, hide, manage his own big feelings. And he couldn't do it. He didn't do it. That was my opportunity to learn that I didn't know how to handle my big feelings, which is why I started spanking him. So eventually I learned how to regulate myself. I learned, and I'm not perfect at it. I'm better though. I I tell my clients, when my clients are struggling with how they react to their children, sometimes I'll share with them, I'm eight years sober of spanking children, you know? So, and that's something I celebrate. Like I am a recovering spanker. I'm a recovering, aggressive, developmentally inappropriate, dysregulated parent. And I'm still in recovery, but I'm eight years sober of spanking children. And I keep growing and increasing my strength and my ability to even speak calmly and lovingly to them instead of in an exasperated, grumpy tone when I feel triggered. So it just, it keeps getting better and better. Lauren's son is 11 now, and she's going to share how things are now later in the show. But next, let's hear from Karemi on her own journey of growth and development as a parent. So I have an almost five-year-old son, and I feel that for me, it's just, it's been such a process of, of inner growth. I went through through some traumatic experiences growing up and some pretty you know, some challenges, emotionally speaking, and, and, and things like that in my upbringing, uh, violence, and, and just different kinds of things that I've had to, to work on. And I went to therapy for many years before having a child, I just felt I needed to do that much <laughs> work on myself. And I thought, you know, very, very kind of narcissistically, you know, I am ready, I am now pregnant, and I've done all this inner work, I am ready to go, I'm going to parent so consciously. No, <laughs> I'll be honest. No, I, I hadn't. Um, as much as I had made progress in different areas of my life, I feel that as soon as I had my son and he was born, all these different things came up for me that made me realize I had so much more healing that I needed to do. So what has really been a process for me with my son is really realizing how he mirrors all the areas in which I need to work. How he is, without saying verbally, mom, you really need to work on this because he's so young, just his behavior, his the way that he expresses himself, etc. Really, I see it as a reflection of all the work that I need to do because I, I notice how I'm transmitting to him different things that are not uh, what I want or what is optimal for him. I, I, you know, I've had to work a lot on anxiety because that has been a constant feeling in my, in my growing up and realizing that has been a, a blessing to realize that I still need to work on that. But at the same time, a feeling of, God, I wish I didn't have to, I wish I was done needing to work on this basically. But, you know, that's not, now, through conscious parenting and through learning so much from Dr. Shafali Sabari, I realized that this, oh, I wish I didn't have to, is really just resisting what is. The reality is I have more inner work to do. And then if I don't resist it, I can proactively go, okay, this is what is, and this is the work that I can do so that I can be more healed, more present, 
more emotionally available, and therefore more accepting of my son. And I, I've come to realize through this work that the degree to which I don't accept myself, and I'm, I'm so critical of myself, that's going to reflect on how critical I am of my son. So I need to constantly look within and go, okay, this is what it is. And now I'm going to work on this. And the same for my relationship with my son. So the, he's really my biggest motivator um, for, for evolving, for, for really growing in within. One of the things I find interesting about this myth is it can allow us to see a really interesting double standard that can exist in the way we relate to our own behavior versus the way we relate to our kids when they make mistakes. I asked Karemi about this double standard, and here's what she said. Usually it happens for me, and maybe for other parents, I think, too, at nighttime when he's in bed and it, it's just more quiet and I just really go within and think, my goodness, yes, you know, on any given day, why was I, you know, that um, sort of strict with my expectations? And I've fortunately worked on this so much that it happens much less but obviously being human, it still happens where I think to myself, okay, I, I really was very impatient with the fact that he took so long to put on his shoes and I was in such a hurry or why can't he find, you know, X thing that he knows he likes to bring in the car with him, that kind of thing. And then really go, looking within and thinking, I constantly forget where I put the keys um, or I forgot to pay my credit card and I know that it's on X day of the month and uh oh, I forgot. And I wouldn't want, say, my husband to think or to say, you are so bad. I'm like, what? Nobody would, nobody would say that to me and it wouldn't be accurate. I'm not bad or, you know, irresponsible just because once in a while I forget to do what I need to do. And so not putting that, not projecting that onto our children is so important to not have that double standard, as you said. Why is it that we're much more compassionate sometimes with our own mistakes, but yet when it's our children who make mistakes, so to speak, which is really just part of being human, we get so um, impatient or even afraid, I feel. It's really within. It's what we're afraid that they're going to turn out to be irresponsible or not succeed. And so, oh, then we have that opportunity to go, that's why I got impatient because I was, I'm genuinely within afraid that this will, you know, go on for years and then they won't succeed. And then, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about fear. Ha. I finally figured it out. It's all about fear. Why am I afraid of this? Is it because this was, you know, the expectation of me constantly and what does it even mean to be successful so it's so beautiful to to have that opportunity to really introspect and that and by doing that we release our children from our own projections of of fear and labels on them ah yes our old friend fear so often things seem to come down to fear here's karemi's very helpful explanation of fear and how we can respond differently to it. Fear brings up anxiety, right? And then when we experience anxiety, we seek to control. So if we as parents can kind of remember that that's the, the human mental pattern that we all experience, depending on what relationship we're in, be it marital, be it professional, be it parent-child relationship, even with our own lives, if we can remember that 
oh, I've entered this very typical pattern. I'm seeking to control so much. It's because I feel anxious. Whenever we feel anxiety, we seek to control because we don't have inner sort of control of our own emotions. So we just project that sort of need outwardly and we seek to control the outside. So if we look within and say, okay, I feel that I'm very controlling right now. I've been like that all day. Ha, huh, I am anxious. And that anxiety is coming from fear. Fear of what? Ah, fear has been my pattern. Yes, because of how I've lived and growing up. And so we can disconnect from that pattern and go, you're just a pattern. You're just a belief system. I don't have to keep believing you. It's just you showing up from all the behaviors that I've acquired since childhood. I can let you go. Speaking of disconnecting from pattern, I'd now like to shift the conversation back to Lauren so she can share how things are now in her relationship with her son. He's 11 now, and things in our relationship are equal parts, so much better, and still room for growth and improvement. You know, even though I haven't spanked him since he was three, it was still a gradual shift on my part away, you know, it went from spanking to loud, angry voice on my part, which still triggered and upset him. And then I worked on that. And I worked on being able to maintain my composure in that way, and responded better. So, you know, it hasn't been eight years of me showing up ideally all the time. It's been a shift away from the behaviors of mine that cause problems towards a higher level of regulation. I asked him recently, because this is a question that I offer some of my clients. I had a client recently who was really concerned about her relationship with her son. And she asked me, how do I know if he's being compliant out of fear? And if I'm still triggering that in him, or if he's really feeling more free to be authentic. And I said, ask him if he feels safe with you. Say, do you feel safe with me? And so I recently asked my son, do you feel safe with me? And he said, yes, I feel safe with you. And that to me is a sign of health. But I mean, we still have our moments of struggle. Our connection isn't perfect. It's a lot better though. We have conversations. I listen to his side. I validate him. Where I'm struggling now, and I think this is also partially normal for an 11-year-old and an adolescent, he struggles to listen to me and see my side of things. I'm working really hard to build a two-sided relationship bridge. I feel like one of the problems in his young childhood and my traditional parenting background is the bridge between us was all parent. I'm the parent. Do what I say. I know better. Obey me. Be good. Don't be bad. The bridge was entirely me. So in shifting away from that and towards creating a two-sided bridge, I've tried to create a lot of space for him, hearing him, validating him. And I'm trying to model that. In my house now, everyone gets a voice. If we have any sort of conflict for any of the four humans in my family, we give each person a chance to fully express their side, their feelings, their preferences. And then the other person gets to express it. And then we try to find a middle ground. The issue I'm having with my 11 year old son currently is 
He'll happily share his feelings and his preferences while I listen. And then when it's my turn, sometimes he tunes me out. He's not really listening to my side. And it's a work in progress. It's definitely a work in progress. And I try to remind myself he's 11. You know, it's still not developmentally appropriate for me to expect complete reciprocity. He's not a mature adult. I'm not even sure I'm fully a mature adult yet either. I'm, I'm moving in that direction. I have to say, I just love that. And I'm moving in that direction too. I think that's the whole point of being human, having this human experience. I was curious about Lauren's daughter in this whole shift that their family made. Here's what she said about that. Once we started shifting as a family and I started opening up and moving away from that control and domination parenting to trying to facilitate an environment for authentic free children to thrive, my daughter went through a rebellious phase. And I was so grateful to see her reconnect to that part of herself and feel safe enough in our home to do that. And, you know, cause my goal now for my children is wholeness and for myself. So if I'm not, if I'm not moving towards wholeness, I can't take someone somewhere I've never been. I want to bring in another dimension of this conversation, labels. When we talk about good or bad or other words that judge our children, we're placing labels on them. And this has an impact. First, let's hear from Karemi. Is labeling as good or bad or as lazy or the easy one or the defiant one or the uh, rambunctious one, are any of those labels going to serve my children in any way? And I think we'll all immediately come to the conclusion that no, not only will it not serve that mission that we know we have and that goal, but it will negatively impact their sense of self. I think it's important to remember as parents, we are building a sense of self. So well said. Now we're going to hear from Lauren and her experience of labels. Past versions of me would have said, but my child does this. How am I supposed to handle that? But my child is so difficult, so challenging, so uncompromising. So all of any word you want to use that you could put in the category of children that are difficult or bad, or we don't, we don't want to deal with those children. So where does that come from? For me, what I've realized is I was being uncompromising. I was being difficult. I was not being flexible. I was not asking my child for developmentally appropriate things, but I couldn't see that. So one of the things I help my clients see is how they are perceiving their children is a really valuable mirror for them to turn and look at themselves. Any moment I think my child is being so difficult. If I pause and ask myself, okay, what about me in this moment? How would I assess me in this moment? Am I being flexible? Am I compromising? Am I being open? Am I listening? Or am I demanding exactly what I want in this moment and they're not giving it to me and I feel like they are the difficult? Another thing I try to help my parents understand is these labels 
were like lenses on a camera that we were given to look through. So when I pick up the difficult lens and I'm seeing my child as I'm I'm looking for it. I'm looking that way. I'm seeing it. If I put the difficult lens down and instead I pick up what's developmentally appropriate here and I look through the developmentally appropriate lens, I'll see, oh, they're behaving exactly as a natural, healthy six-year-old should be behaving. No problem here. Then where's the problem? Oh, my expectations for a six-year-old are not developmentally appropriate. Oops, this is actually the source of the problem. So, I mean, I've been doing this work, like I said, for around eight years, and I'm pretty comfortable now with the fact that I'm the problem, <laughs> that my children aren't the problem. I'm the problem. I've been the problem all along. And, and that's empowering because I'm a problem I can fix. If I'm the problem, I can fix it. I can't actually fix other people. I can work on myself, grow, expand, shift. But when I have new clients who are convinced, but if only my child could behave a little differently, then, I, then it wouldn't trigger me. They are triggering me. If they would stop triggering me, I'm a beautiful, confident, calm, amazing adult. When I'm not triggered, of course you are. Of course we all are. It's when we're triggered that the challenge arises. And when we want to stop our children from triggering us, that's not the best place to put that energy or that focus. Instead, if we look at ourselves and go, why is this triggering me so much and in this way? And what opportunity do I have here to become the version of myself that can be the calm, confident guide, even in a situation like this? One of the things I so admire about Lauren is how she has embraced all of what it means to be human, to have experiences, to mess up, to learn and grow, to share those experiences vulnerably as a contribution to other people. And I think about the mistakes that I've made and how I've wanted to hide out from them, not talk about them. I've experienced shame for those things. And so I asked her about self-compassion because I had a feeling there was something we could learn from her. And I was right. And it turns out finding self-compassion was a journey. Here's what she said. I probably spent the first five years post my spanking phase feeling like the worst, most atrocious, monstrous, mother that I could imagine. I couldn't believe I had succumbed to that. I had failed so spectacularly at being the version of myself that I thought I would be, that I thought I could be for my son during that time. I went full unconscious, triggered, repeating an unhealthy pattern and owning that and forgiving myself for that probably took five years for me. So now that I'm eight years out and I spent five years beating myself up while desperately trying to move towards acceptance and forgiveness. And then I finally got to a place where I really could 
feel in my body, a truth that my teachers and mentors were telling me. But embodiment work is another aspect of my work. So you can know something in your mind, but if you don't feel it in all of your cells and the cellular memory that lives in your body is still saying the old story, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't, you can't really make that shift. So I spent five years post spanking knowing I had stopped spanking in my mind, knowing I was trying so hard to do better, but feeling in my body that I was the bad parent who spanked my children. And I felt bad. One of the, another quote I love is a child can't be quote good if they feel bad. Now I like the shift away from good and bad, but I would say a human isn't free to be in the present moment and to be authentic. If they're still attached to a past mistake and the cells in their body are saying, you are bad, you are a failure. So I lived with that for five years. So I have lots of compassion for parents who have done things they can't believe they've done, who have disappointed themselves, hurt their children, and they're, they're dealing with shame. Brene Brown is another amazing resource. They're, they're deep in a shame storm. They're desperate for relief. They want a better path. And the other thing I try to offer my parents and what I was offering to myself was I didn't have all the information that I have now. When my son was two and started hitting me, and I did not understand then that my unconscious past trauma over being hit as a child was being triggered, my feelings of helplessness, frustration, the messaging saying it's my job to control this child, he should not be hitting me, which I unconsciously connected to my parents should not have hit me. But I didn't get to respond to that situation as a child in the way that I would have wanted to because it would have made it worse. So all of that past trauma, unconscious confusion came out at my son and I yelled at him and I spanked him. And I, it was almost like I lost myself. I didn't even know who I was in those moments until I learned all the things that I now understand. And so now I can look back at her, that past version of me. And I try to offer this to my parents too. And I can see she was doing the best that she could. Was it appropriate? No. Was it developmentally healthy? No. Did it significantly harm her child and her relationship with her child? Yes. Was she doing the best that she could at the time with everything that she had? Yes. She really was. Wow. So inspiring and such a powerful example of self-compassion that I'm sure we can all learn from in some aspect of our lives. Lauren went on to share one of my absolute favorite all-time quotes and built on it in a way that I will never forget. Here she is. So Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. Becky Bailey, I believe it's Dr. Becky Bailey from Conscious Discipline who says, when you feel better, you do better. And so, it, and I would say the mind-body connection, when you know better and you feel better, you do better.
I just love ending with this because it really brings it full circle for me that what's available is letting go of the good and bad judgments of our kids and of ourselves that we can walk the journey of self-compassion and embrace self-care because we've all lived it. We know it's true. When we feel better, we do better. Thank you, Lauren, for putting it in such simple, powerful words. And I want to mention one last thing that relates to this idea, because I've been working on a separate project outside of Soul Path Parenting, and it has launched. And it's based on this belief that when we feel better, we do better. It's called Fittest 40s, and it's an online fitness program specifically designed for the 40-something body. So if you're in your 40s or close to it, or you're 49 plus some number, and you still feel like you're in your 40s, keep listening. This is for you. Because here's the thing. We've been talking about myths, and there are so many myths about being in your 40s and older that just aren't true. There is absolutely no reason that we can't be the fittest of our lives. We just need to work out a little differently than we did in our 20s. So why is a conscious parenting coach and a podcaster talking to you about a fitness program? Well, here's the thing. I have lots of passions. I'm sure you do too. And one of them is movement. Exercise is a huge part of my life. It is a fundamental part of my self-care, but it hasn't always been this way. I really didn't start working out regularly until I lived in Chicago in my mid-30s, and it honestly started out as self-preservation because I felt myself slipping into that depression during the long winter, and so I hired a trainer Fast forward a decade, I'm now 46, and I'm the fittest I've ever been. I'm I'm not the strongest, I'm not the skinniest, but I'm the healthiest. And this is what I want for everyone. So my personal trainer and I have teamed up to create these online workouts and a community of support to share this passion that we have with other 40-somethings. So if you're interested in getting moving again, come check it out, fittest40s.com. That's the number four zero, fittest40s.com. And we're sharing the love with my Soul Path listeners. You can get your first month half off with the promo code SOULPATHLOVE. The link and the promo code will be in the show notes. We have two live workouts a week. And I would love to see you there. I am her sidekick who does all the demos of the moves. So come have fun with us. That does it for today's show. We thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to be in touch with either of the magical coaches that we featured today, you can find links to Lauren of Sunshower Coaching and Karemi of the Conscious Parenting Institute on our website, soulpathparenting.com. We'll be back in two weeks with myth number four. Until then, be well.